Let's pray together. Lord God, you are exalted above the highest heavens, and all creation testifies to your glory and your wisdom and your love. And we thank you that you have seen fit to give us life and to make us in your image. We thank you that you have looked upon man and said that what you made is very good. And Lord, our hearts are broken that we live in a world where there is sin and rebellion and all of the heartache that comes from that. Um, But we thank you that your stance towards man is reconciliation, that you invite all men to look upon Christ and trust in his atoning work, that we might be redeemed and reconciled to you. And we thank you that that's our story. That's why we gather, because we no longer look to a God who is full of wrath for our sin, but instead we look to a God who welcomes and loves and accepts us through the work of Christ. And our hearts are in awe of you for that work. I pray, Lord, that we would never lose our sense of awe in that truth. And I ask, Father, that as we study your word this morning, that you would move in our hearts. And Lord, you know that I've been praying hard this week over this sermon and the people in this room. And so I pray again that you would speak to our hearts, that you would move in power, that you would do what mere words could never do in human hearts and what only your spirit has the power to do. And so, Lord, I ask you again for that outcome in Christ's name, for his sake and his glory. Amen. Uh, Well, hopefully you're in Matthew 13, and um, as you probably know by now, we are going through the parables of Jesus, so I invite you to read with me here. We're going to read a longer portion, which is one of the reasons why I wanted you to have your Bible. So... Matthew 13, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read all the way through verse 23. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, 
And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Well, today we're talking about the parable of the sower. Uh, If you've hung around church at all, then maybe this is a parable that you are familiar with. And although the parable is told in verses 3 through 9 there, uh, we read all the way through 23 because, first of all, in verses 10 through 17, we get a little bit of a teaching on the purpose of the parables themselves. And I think that that's instructive for us. And then in verses 18 through 23, we get the explanation of what the parable means. So this is a lot of text, probably more than I can really do deep justice to in one sermon. Um, But I think it all fits together, and so we'll do kind of an overview. And let's actually begin by talking a little bit about what Jesus says there in verses 10 through 17 on the purpose of teaching in parables. In verse 13... Um, Jesus is very clear. He says, This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And then in verse 15, if you look there, Jesus refers back to a prophecy from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. And he critiques the crowds of Jewish people, saying, Their hearts have grown dull. Now, that word dull, if you were to look into it a little deeper, can mean something like impervious, impenetrable. In other words, I think that the criticism that Jesus is leveling at the crowds here and the Jews who are following around is that they really don't care. They don't care. They follow him because he offers them food or healing or he's kind of an interesting novelty. But when it really comes to the depth of the teaching that he has to offer, they don't really care. In their hearts, at the deepest level of who they are, they are not interested in actually perceiving what Jesus is communicating in his teachings. And see, some people, when they hear a riddle, maybe you're one of these kinds of people, something like a parable, you become obsessed with it, right? Like, You hear the riddle and you cannot help yourself. You must think about it until you find the solution, the answer to the riddle. And there's other people who hear a riddle and 
they're not plagued by it. Like they hear it and then it just goes out of their mind and they don't think about it anymore. They couldn't care less about what the answer is. They move on to something they find more interesting. Um, a couple weeks ago, I remembered sort of a fun thing from my childhood. And so I bought this book for my kids. Did any of you years ago, this was like cool in the 90s maybe, right? The Magic Eye book. Ever seen one of these? Some of you are like, yes. I'll, I'll leave this up here after church, so if you want, you can come, come look at it. Uh, this book is full of pictures, though, but when you first look at it, all you see are like squiggly lines and just colors. It's like a meaningless picture. You, you're looking at nothing, really. But there's a way where if you kind of focus your eyes or unfocus your eyes and stare at the picture long enough, eventually this 3D image hidden within the picture begins to emerge. Sometimes it's dinosaurs, or maybe it's like a, a landscape with a sunrise, or some 3D shape. But when I bought the book, something kind of curious happened in my house. Uh, some of my kids were really, really interested. They saw me staring at this book and going, wow, that's really cool. And um, they decided that they were not going to put the book down until they figured it out. And so they spent as much time as was necessary just staring at these pages until they began to figure out how the trick works and see what was embedded in the image hidden there. And then there were some of my other kids who they looked at it once or twice, they couldn't really figure it out in an instant, and so they very quickly threw it back on the coffee table and went back to doing things that they were more interested in doing. They just didn't really care. Well, I think the parables that Jesus uses to teach about the kingdom of God are very much like this magic eye imagery. They're intended to function a little bit like this book. There is a deep meaning there. There is a picture of the kingdom of God for us to behold and to treasure, but it's tucked away in that parable in such a way that it's hidden from just a casual observation. The, the picture of the kingdom told in the parables is actually intended, Jesus says, to hide the treasure of the kingdom of God, to make it only for those who would be interested enough in exploring further. It's only going to ever be seen by those whose hearts are not dull, not bored, or uninterested by what Jesus is teaching about. Only those who want to figure it out, who want to understand, are going to do that difficult work of continuing to look until they see what it actually means. And so as we talk about the parable of the sower this morning, and we continue to talk about the parables of Jesus over the next couple of weeks, I want to ask you, do you want to see? Do you want to actually see? Do you want to understand? I've been in pastoral ministry for close to 20 years now, and you know what I've discovered? The hardest people to reach with the gospel are not the people that we might think are on the edges, you know, the, the people that are hard to get along with, the people that belong to radical subcultures or something like that. I found the hardest people to reach with the gospel are the people who in seeing do not see, 
Often the people hardest to reach with the gospel are the people that are already in church. Tragically, I would say churches are filled with people who are very Christian in their thinking. They would hear a sermon like this and be like, yeah, great job, pastor. Another good message on the Bible. But they don't really see. They're morally good people. They look at the world and what's taking place and they go, oh, yeah, that's pretty ugly. I'm not part of that. They go to church. They have a Bible at home. It might be a little dusty, but at least they have one. They say they believe in Jesus and they have invited him into their heart and they're excited to go to heaven. But in reality, they are spiritually blind and they do not see. They are not truly members of the kingdom of God with hearts fully surrendered to Jesus and his way. And these people are the hardest people to reach because you tell them, look, look at this picture. Look at the beauty of Jesus to be discovered here. And they kind of shrug and they go, yeah, yeah, I see it. But they don't penetrate beyond to really come face to face with Christ. And they don't really care to. They're happy to just sort of do the Christian-y things and that's enough. There are sometimes people who have spent years, maybe even decades at church, looking at the picture, but never actually seeing what it means. They believe in some vague sense of that word, but they're not really captivated. They don't really trust Jesus. And so I've been praying hard for you this week because maybe I am describing you. Maybe it's you. Maybe you have been hearing without hearing. And my prayer today is that your heart would not be dull, that your vision would be clear, that you would understand, that you would see Jesus in all of his glory, and you would worship him, and you would trust him, and today would be the day that you finally grasp the beauty of the kingdom of God. And that you would choose to be the person who hears the riddle in the parable and says, I need to know what that means. I want to see what the other people here are seeing. So I want to pray again because I want to pray for you. God, only you can see hearts. Only you know if in this room there are people like this that I am describing who know Christianity, but don't know Jesus, who know church and go to church, but are not in the kingdom of God. And Lord, I would ask you again that if those people are present in this room this morning, that by your power, you would give them eyes to see. And Lord, I pray that you would haunt them in their hearts and their minds until they capture the picture of the kingdom of God that we are describing here this morning. So, Lord, we look to you to do that work. Amen. So, in the parable, Jesus tells a story about a man who goes out uh, to sow some seed. He's a farmer, and he's planting his crops. And we know from his explanation in verse 19, he tells us that this seed represents the word of the kingdom. In other words, the seed is the gospel, the message of what Christians believe. So, in case you don't know... Here is the gospel that Christians believe, okay? And I'm going to put it not in abstract terms. I'm going to put it in concrete terms. I'm going to refer to you. I'm going to put the gospel in terms that speak directly to you. 
The gospel is that you are a sinner and you are guilty before God for your sin. And as a result of that, God, his stance towards you is full of wrath. You are under God's wrath, not because he's mean, but because you are a sinner. And we don't need to do some fancy you know, work to try and prove to you that you are a sinner. You know it. You honestly do. And since you cannot erase or absolve your debt of sin before a perfect God whose expectation is perfection, God solved your problem for you. And in love, he sent his own treasured, precious, beloved son to die on the cross, to atone for your sin, to cover the penalty that you deserve so that by his grace, the wrath of God might move from you to Jesus so that you would be spared. And if you repent of your sin and you turn away from it, and you turn towards Christ, the Son of God, and you trust in his death and his work to be the thing that makes you right with God, then you can be reconciled to God. And you can be accepted by God. No longer will God's position towards you be one of wrath. It will be one of love. And this cannot be done by your own work. It must be God's gift, his love and kindness given to you, not because you deserve it or have earned it, but because of what Christ has done for you. And in addition to all of that, then, the gospel says that you don't have to continue to live in a way that would incur God's wrath and lead towards greater ruin for your sin and self-destruction. You can stop living your life for yourself, and you can surrender your life over to this God who loves you, and he will lead you in righteousness and peace and hope and joy. And you can trust in the life-giving way of Jesus, and you can actually follow him. And if you repent and you believe in Christ and you trust in him with your life and you turn and you choose to follow him, you will be saved from all of your sins past, present, and future, both in this life and also in eternity. So that after you die, then you will be raised from the dead and you will live an everlasting life in glory with Jesus because of your repentance and faith in him. So the gospel is that by turning to Jesus, you can live for him in this life and also for eternity with joy and peace. I really like the way Isaiah sums it up. So let me uh, have you take a look at this passage that I want to put up on the screen for you. Isaiah writes, God will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, Be gone. 
That's a beautiful picture of the gospel from Isaiah. This is the word of the kingdom, that you can turn from your idols and turn from your sin, and you can walk in the way of Jesus now and forevermore. Now, in the parable, the sower scatters the seed, which means that God is bringing the message of the kingdom to people, and he's inviting them to repent and believe. And Jesus tells us about four soils in which this seed lands. And each soil corresponds to a different kind of response to the seed or the message. First, some seed falls upon the path, and the birds come and they devour it. Uh, since we might not know what this means, like, okay, Jesus, a cute story about birds and seeds. What are you talking about? He explains it in verse 19. These are people who hear the Christian message of the gospel of God's grace, but they fail to understand it. And the evil one, like a bird, comes and snatches it up and devours it. Now, I would say there might be multiple different possible interpretations to what Jesus is getting at here. But I want to suggest to you that one possible interpretation is that these are people who hear this message of the gospel, but they don't want to give themselves over to it entirely. It's not that they're too stupid to understand. When Jesus says they don't understand, he's not saying you have to have like a minimum IQ level to get this message. That's not what he's talking about. The message that Jesus died for you to show his love and you're guilty as a sinner is pretty simple. I think what Jesus means here then is that these people don't understand the word of the kingdom because they choose to keep it outside of themselves. The seed cannot move down into the soil. They hear the message, but they don't want that message to be brought into their lives so that it might begin to flourish and grow and bear fruit for the kingdom. And the enemy, the evil one, then is quite happy to come and devour that good news so that the one who hears it never chooses to give himself over to it. And what a waste. Because the precious seed of the farmer is meant to bear fruit, not feed the birds. And so some of you in this morning, you might actually be like the path You've heard the gospel, but you have not yet decided to give yourself over to it completely. You're not willing to surrender all of your heart to Jesus in trust and obedience. And if that's the case, if that's you this morning, if you're hearing this and you feel like, man, maybe that actually is me. I've, I've sort of kept Jesus at a distance. Then I would plead with you. Now is the time to reconsider. Do not be the hard-hearted, hard path that is resistant to this message. Don't let the evil one deceive you into thinking that you can keep the Lord Jesus away from you without any consequence. That way, if you persist in it, leads to ruin and destruction. A fruitless life and a desolate eternity. And so I would plead with you and I pray for you that you would hear this message and you would repent and turn so that Jesus might heal you. Surrender to his lordship. Don't be consumed by the evil one, but instead receive Christ and bring the seed of his kingdom deep into your heart that it might change you. 
The second soil that Jesus mentions is the rocky ground where the seed never takes root. It sprouts up very quickly, but then it's scorched by the sun. And Jesus tells us in verses 20 and 21 that for this person, initially it looks like there's some real growth here. Like the weeds in my yard that sprout up really quickly right after the rain. But then instead, unfortunately, Jesus tells us that when the trials and the suffering come, and the way gets difficult, the roots have never gone deep, and so the crop dies. Tra- uh, tragically, Jesus even tells us that at first the seed is received with joy. Things seem to start out well. And I think uh, maybe what Jesus is speaking about here is he's referring to people who are mostly led by their feelings. And so the gospel message feels, at the beginning, very warm and fuzzy, right? It's a message to you of God's love and acceptance. You have not earned it, you do not deserve it, and yet God is willing to bring you close to him. It's a promise of eternal life, and isn't that appealing? Don't you know somewhere deep down that death is not the way things are supposed to be? It's the message of forgiveness, and isn't that comforting? But these people hear this message, and because they never take it down deep, because they only are attracted to it for the way that it makes them feel, because in the end, it's ultimately only about them and what they want, their own pleasure, their own blessing. When life gets hard, and they finally realize, oh my goodness, the way of Jesus is like the cross. It's full of suffering and hardship and ultimately death. Then when they get that message, they quit because the good feelings fade. The sun in all of its piercing heat comes out and they wither. When the testing comes that requires that they have deep roots in the community of faith and a meaningful knowledge of God's word to encourage them and commitment to obedience that will hold them steadfast in the difficulties, and they have none of those things because they were only ever in it for pleasure and the way that it made them feel good. And they didn't want to engage in the hard work that would give them vibrant roots. These people wither and die. When the good vibes go, they also go. And I want to say here, I, I do have concerns for some of you in this room that you might be in this category. Again, I can't see your heart. Only God can see your heart. So I'm offering to you this evaluation with humility. But I think it's worth considering for a moment. Some of you call yourselves a Christian. But you've never done any real significant work to love Jesus with deep sincerity. You find pleasure or comfort in the fact that you are called a child of God or that you're saved from your sins. But I would be willing to bet that when Jesus comes to test your resolve in a season where it feels like all he wants to do is crush you, not just embrace you, you might turn out like this seed, abandoning him because you have no roots And you're not drinking deeply from the water of life that is down, deep in Christ. And on the day that you walk away from Jesus, I'm just going to be honest, I will be profoundly sad, but not necessarily surprised. 
because you never really did anything that actually proved that Jesus was the treasure of your heart and that you would give up anything else for him and him alone. You are here among Christians, but you belong to nobody. Tragically, that's the case at many churches. People gather on Sunday and they're among Christians, but they don't belong to anybody in the room. They sacrifice little or nothing. They serve not at all. They show no interest in the Bible. And they only pray when they've got a problem that they want God to fix for them. They don't pray because they want to see the face of Jesus and behold his beauty. And honestly, I don't know why you would keep coming back to church, particularly one like ours, where somebody recently described my preaching as like kicking you before I give you a hug or something like that. I don't know why you would keep coming back to church. I mean, I want you to keep coming back. I hope that even though I might be insulting you today, you'll come back next Sunday because I want you to grow. I actually want you to hear these words this morning and be like, you know what, I think that might be me and I don't want to be that anymore. My prayer for you is that today you would choose to put your roots down deep in Christ, not because he makes you feel good, but because he is Lord. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just warning you that if you're not bearing the fruit of righteousness, then it might be because you are not rooted in Jesus. You can be if you want to. We'll get there more in a minute. The third soil that's mentioned is a soil that's already crowded with thorns and weeds and bramble. And Jesus tells us in verse 22 that the thorns represent the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. They slowly grow up around the gospel seed and eventually steal all of the nourishment and resources away from it, choking out the life. And these are people who have received the good news of God's kingdom, but their hearts end up trapped by pleasure or comfort. We might describe these people by saying that they're the kind of people who feel a lot of joy when the new Amazon package shows up, but when they go to crack open their Bible, they're sort of like, ugh. These are people who love to entertain themselves with things like Netflix or hobbies or knickknacks that make them feel better, but they don't find any delight in seeking Jesus to be close to him. These are people who think about the world, they hear the latest news story, and they get anxious about it because their eyes are on worldly things, not on Jesus, who is ruler of all. They don't think about things above. They only think about things below. They never even think to touch the kingdom of God because their hands are already clasping so many other things. They've stuffed their lives with trivialities. And all of the water and the resources of the soil are being given over to the weeds of worldliness which grow while the seed of the kingdom just withers away. And if this is you, then I want you to understand that Jesus says, you are being deceived by these worldly things. You are focusing on things that are temporal and meaningless rather than things that are eternal and transformative. Your life is a mist. Your life is a vapor. It is already fading and passing through your hands like trying to hold dry sand and you cannot keep it. And all of your worries and all of your pleasures and all of your riches, they are less than nothing because one day they will be gone. 
and they mean nothing. The new stuff that you buy, that when it shows up in that Amazon package and makes you feel all giddy inside because it finally got here, even though you just ordered it yesterday, that feeling, those things get old and they break and they end up on a shelf, dusty and valueless. The hobbies eventually decline in attraction. The beauty that you seek after fails. The memories that you made, they grow dim. And you keep searching and searching and searching, but nothing satisfies, nothing scratches the itch. And I would say to you that if this is you and worldliness and comfort and pleasure and anxiety are the things that you focus on, it's time to take those idols, like Isaiah says, and crush them to powder and sow them into the wind and tell them, be gone. Look to something more substantial, something that satisfies Let go of the things of this world that only enslave you. Receive the kingdom of God from Christ who is inviting you into everlasting pleasure in him. Joy forever. The fourth type of ground that the seed falls upon is the good soil. And Jesus tells us in verse 23 that when the seed falls on the good soil, the message of the kingdom is understood and received. And so the seed embraces it to nourish it and give it the kind of environment it needs to grow. And so I would say this is the person who, hearing the gospel, gives themselves over to the kingdom of God entirely, holding nothing back. And the result then is fruitfulness, a crop that multiplies like seeds are meant to do. Sometimes a hundredfold, sometimes 60, sometimes 30, but there's always power at work giving life to that seed. Now, we might debate what Jesus means here by giving us these different yields of the crop um, that some produce a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. But what I really want you to see is that Jesus never says that this good soil produces zero, right? It is the very nature of the gospel that when it is truly and rightly received in the hearts of men, it will bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Maybe 100, maybe 60, maybe 30, but there's no zero. That's not an option. Jesus doesn't say that some seed is received in the good soil, but that it does not bear fruit. No, the only outcome of the seed that falls in good soil is to produce the righteousness of the kingdom of God. It bears much fruit. And Jesus promised, if we abide in him, we will bear fruit. And then you might wonder then, okay, well, what determines the yield, right? Like, what additives are in the soil that produce 100 versus 60? What things need to be done so that 60 and not 30, right? But the question I would say to you is irrelevant, Because as Christians truly in love with Jesus, doesn't your heart burn to be the crop that yields a hundredfold? When you read that, don't you think, yeah, I would settle for the 30. No, you think I want to be the hundred, right? So don't sit around wondering and debating what things in the kingdom of God are there to make it a hundred. Go and be the soil that produces 
the maximum fruit. Choose to yield more. Let your desire for greater things drive you to be the kind of person that yields an abundance of fruit for the kingdom of God. There's nothing in this parable that might lead us to believe that we don't have a part in determining what kind of righteousness, what kind of fruit we produce. Do you see that? I think a lot of the yield is entirely up to you. What kind of crop do you want to be? Meditate on God's word and you can expect to bear more fruit. Practice obedience and you can expect to bear much fruit. Turn away from sin and you'll see a greater yield. Love one another and your love will increase the harvest. Boast about Jesus and you'll see more of his kingdom. Walk in humility and Christ will use you. Pray with fervor and you can expect that God will respond and work. So would you be the kind of soil that produces a yield a hundredfold? Then do it. What would prevent you? God's desire for you is that you would bear much fruit. And so there's no reason to believe that anything could prevent you from that except your willingness or your effort, or your contribution. So set your heart to that task, direct your actions to that end, and I will tell you, you will bear more fruit for Christ. This is what Jesus wants to do in you. So are you willing? And now here, let me end with this. I just want to uh, close on what I hope will be a word of encouragement to everyone in this room who is a Christian. To everyone in this room who is the good soil where the seed has fallen and it has taken root to bear the fruit of righteousness. Be encouraged because you cannot fail in the endeavor to yield a harvest for the kingdom of God. Be encouraged because this is just what the seed does when it falls into good soil. It is the nature of the seed to grow when the soil embraces it. So be encouraged. I know sometimes the fight against sin is long and arduous. I know sometimes it feels burdensome and heavy. I know sometimes you long for the crop of righteousness for long years before it really begins to bear the fruit that you hope for. I know sometimes we go through valleys where it's dark and where it feels like there's a drought and there's no water to nourish that seed. And I know sometimes we're hard-pressed and we're discouraged and we want the progress to be faster than it is. We want to be further down the road than we are. But God is faithful and it's the nature of the seed of his kingdom, his work in you to bear the fruit of righteousness. It will come. It is inevitable. It must happen because this is what Jesus does in his people. Christ in you will certainly yield a harvest for his glory. So while you wait, just hold fast to him. Like Rick was saying, just keep the wings spread out. 
it will come in time. And Jesus promises in verse 23 that bearing fruit is what is sure to happen to those who give themselves over to the kingdom of God. And so the question here at the end is simple. This is my application for you. It's as simple as this. What kind of soil do you want to be? As you read this parable, what kind of soil do you want to be? My hope and my prayer for everyone in this room is that they would want to be the good soil, that nobody would leave here going, yeah, I think I'm the soil on the path, and so eh, whatever. I implore you not to go on being blind, not to see without seeing, but today to hear and to understand and then choose to be the soil that receives the kingdom and bears fruit. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this teaching from Jesus. And Lord, again, I pray that those in this room would hear this message and that if there's anything hindering them from being the good seed, Lord, or the good soil, that you would remove that hindrance and that they would give themselves over to you and their kingdom with their whole hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bear much fruit. And, Lord, I pray that we would be, each of us, the crop that bears a hundredfold because that's what our desire is. And that's where our hearts are set. But we look to you to do that work. We trust that the seed of the kingdom must and will bear fruit. So, Lord, would you do that in our hearts and lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.